What's up? You're listening to the Scholarly Spark podcast. Here's your chance to finally become interested in learning and find out what you're genuinely curious about. Join me as we discover the secrets of South Asia and experience different foods, the latest technologies, immerse ourselves in a variety of phenomenal cultures, find out about interesting people we never knew existed, and learn about what no one else dared to find out. I'm Kamal Narayanan, taking you on a journey through the mysteries of South Asia, all from the convenience of your headphones. Here we go. Hey everybody, welcome back to the show. Today we have a special guest on our show that goes by Dr. Thomas Ponia. Dr. Thomas Ponia was a lecturer on social studies at Harvard previously, and now he's a professor at George Brown University, and he comes to teach a course about globalization at Harvard Summer School. Dr. Ponia, how are you doing today? Great. It's Panaya, by the way. Oh, sorry. Sorry, Dr. Panaya. My bad. Sorry. Okay, yeah. So I noticed that you have a lot of interest in globalization. Tell me what got you started on that. Well, I was, um, I was a political activist when I was younger. Wow. And, okay. Um, okay. So back in 1999, there were quite a lot of protests around mm-hmm. globalization. Right. And uh, so I decided that I wanted to uh, research what these protesters were actually proposing. Mm-hmm. I was more interested in the proposals, actually, than the protests. And so I researched what they were proposing, and I started to uh, basically, that's what I focused on my, for my PhD. Mm-hmm. And I put together a book on it called Another World is Possible, which is a collection of proposals for, um, for transforming globalization. Wow. So... Political activism in 1999, what was that like back then? <laughs> back then. <laughs> uh, well, it was the, the main focus was around the issue of globalization. At that time, progressives were the ones who were complaining about globalization and saying that it was producing inequality. Of course, today now the conservatives have become very powerful in uh, criticizing globalization. But it was right. the progressives who first spotted that this uh, amplification of inequality was going to create problems. And now, of course, we see many of those problems emerging. With Now, of course, we see protests coming from, from every yeah, side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you uh, been involved in any protests over your, over your career or anything? Well, when I was younger, yeah, absolutely. Uh, the, uh, the big thing that I got involved with um, in, two, in the early 2000s was the World Social Forum, which was this kind of, uh, this uh, movement which every year it would bring together social movements and civil society from all around the world to come together and debate alternatives to the current form of globalization. Mm -hmm. So the first one in 2001 had 10,000 people. Wow. The second one had 50,000 people. Oh my gosh. Third one had a hundred thousand people. And the fourth one, which was held in India in 2004 Mm -hmm. had 120,000 people. Wow. So I was involved with that. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's where I did my research as well. That's pretty cool. So yeah. I I guess so you've done a lot of research over your over your career, right? Yes. Tell me what you what your favorite thing to research was. Well, I mean, I'm interested in this question of globalization. Recently the the research that I've been putting a lot of time into is the question of how to um, kind of build a global imagination for among uh, students. Mhm. And so my way of doing this has been to, um, I've been teaching a great books course, which I started teaching at Harvard, and I still teach at Harvard. Mm -hmm. It's a great books course looking at the great thinkers of the ancient world. 
not only the great thinkers of Greece, in the past, in the West, we would only look at the great Greek thinkers, but now we're looking at the great Greek thinker, in this course, the great Greek thinkers, the great Chinese thinkers, the great Indian uh, thinkers, right. and comparing them in terms of some of the big questions humanity's always asked. Right. What are, the, what are some of those big questions that humanity's always asked? What's human nature? Mm -hmm. What's the nature of society? Right. What's the nature of the universe? Right. Can you answer the question, what is the meaning of life? <laughs> well, the thing is, that's the question we all want, right? The answer yeah. we all want. Well, what's interesting is all the thinkers have different interpretations of the meaning of right, life. Right, right, right. It's an opportunity. I can answer the question, yes, for myself. Yeah. But the, the, all the students, of course, all the thinkers have a different interpretation. Mm -hmm. And your, uh, the yeah. students get a chance to um, to look at those different interpretations of the meaning of life. Wow. What's your what's your uh, interpretation on the meaning of life? Well, I guess first I would say it's it's individual, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, at the same time, it's also I think um, universal in, in the sense that m my own goal is to help build a globalization that addresses our material and spiritual needs. Usually, with the protesters, left wing or right wing. They tend to be focused on uh, material needs. Mm -hmm. And I think it's not just material needs that need to be addressed. There, there are other challenges that we all have. And so um, figuring out how to, I think that's what our focus should be, giving people a, a chance to build a global civilization. And one of the biggest limits on that global civilization is, of course, nationalism, which keeps right. us trapped within certain boundaries. But um, I'm optimistic because, especially with your generation, mm -hmm. there's much more openness to the global, which I think is a great thing. Right, right. So you mentioned Indian social thinkers. Anything specific from there you, you got for us? Uh, yeah, I guess. Well, the, the two that we look with, with mm -hmm. my students, are yeah. the, um, the Brahminical tradition, mm -hmm. the ancient Brahminical tradition, and, okay. and, and Buddha. Okay. Uh, and the students, of course, always find those those. Uh, traditions interesting because with the ancient Indian tradition, I can't say about present, but with the ancient tradition, there's a, an emphasis on renunciation. Mm. That the problem is is desire, desire for for wealth, for fame, for power, right, etc. Right. And uh, for them, the source of power was um, the ability to let go of those desires. That's where real power and freedom lay. Right. There's a very interesting story, actually. When Alexander the Great visited India, right. he, uh, well, visited, he, he conquered India, I guess, mm -hmm. uh, for a period of time, a short period of time. Yeah. And um, when he met these uh, philosophers who lived on the outskirts of the town, mm -hmm. and these Indian philosophers, and um, it was, it's, an it's a very interesting thing to read about, because, of course, they look at him and they see him as the person who wants to get, gain more land, gain more more wealth, gain more of everything. That's why he's going around conquering. Yeah. Whereas their attitude is just stay on the edge of town, <laughs> lie on this rock and uh, meditate on <laughs> the meaning of life. <laughs> so yeah. the students find this interesting because of course it's completely opposite what um, our society today uh, values. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So how do you, why do you think that change happened? Why do you think right now we're, we're not as conservative as, as we were before? We're not as, sorry? Like conservative? Like, you know how you said Indians prefer to just stay in one spot, don't exactly go, it's like to, like yeah, to yeah, how yeah. do you think that culture has changed? Why do you yeah, think well, changed? well, we're much more, um, 
I mean, the two big powers in our world are corporations and governments. Yeah. And uh, both of them tend to be, appear to be driven, driven by profit. Mm-hmm. And that kind of permeates everything we do. Every, every we're all thinking about ways of making more money and becoming more wealthy, and we're willing yeah. to commodify just about anything, <laughs> including the environment, yeah. to achieve that profit. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's disastrous, of course. It's it's a problem. So um, I think maybe that's why, uh, no matter how materialistic we get in North America, we're always fascinated by. Um, Buddha and yoga and so on, because they offer us uh, uh, an image of something that's very different from what we have. And so we look to them for solutions to right, our right. problems. Right. Do you have any other examples of great social thinkers that you really admire? I like Plato. I think he's really Oh, good. yeah, yeah, yeah. Plato's fantastic. Uh, the, um, he has a great ex- explanation of human nature. He says human nature comes down to basically if you imagine a chariot with two horses and one horse is the horse that's focused on appetite and the other horse is the horse that's focused on ambition and the charioteer, the person trying to control these two horses is your rationality or your wisdom. And basically in life, you've got these two horses, your desire for physical appetite, your desire for ambition, ready to take you off the road. Both are going in different directions. And reason has to be the, um, the, the, uh, the one, the guide who, pulls, who restrains these two horses, mm-hmm. keeps them focused, uh, you know, down, down straight and narrow. And uh, the students, you know, and I, I give the example to the students of if you're walking down the street, and you see someone um, walking their dog, but actually the dog is walking them. We've all seen it where the dog is dragging the owner along. (laughs) And I said, and the students all laugh with this image. I said, that's a funny image. But from Plato's point of view, that's you. You're being dragged around by your appetites and your ambitions. You have to learn to um, control those appetites and ambitions, regulate them, channel them. Wow, that's actually, that is a genius way of thinking about life that you're driven by two horses. Yeah. And uh, you've got to be the charioteer. You can't let the horses yeah. run. Yeah. So the students, uh, I think they, they enjoy uh, Plato as well. We start off early on with Plato. Mm-hmm. What, what else do you guys do in that, in that course? We go through, uh, well, for the Greeks, we look at Plato, mm-hmm. Aristotle, the two great, I think, probably influences on the West. Right. We look at Sappho, the great um, female poet of ancient Greece. Mm-hmm. Then we go to China and we look at uh, Confucius and Lao Tzu. Uh, then India. Now we also look at some stuff, some work from Egypt. From we look at the Epic of Gilgamesh from Mesopotamia, mm, right, right. Uh, and we read an ancient Mayan text, the uh, Popol Vuh, which means the Book of the People. Okay, which is also a great. Uh, the students are all uh, inspired by these. All these texts are inspiring. Students love the course. Mm, wow, that's that's awesome. So you also teach the course about globalization and global justice at Harvard. Can you tell us about that course? Yeah, the course uh, on globalization and global justice, it's really a course in terms of understanding how globalization has evolved historically and personally. Now, when I say personally, let me give you an example. Mm -hmm, Most people know Nelson Mandela's face better than they know their next door neighbor's face. Mm. And that, in a sense, is globalization. That's how globalization, it doesn't just permeate our economics and our politics, yeah, that makes but it sense. also permeates our imagination. 
So in the course, we, we look at globalization from all these different angles, from the angles of the different academic disciplines, economics, politics, history, sociology, environment, mm-hmm. and so on. Mm-hmm. So, and yeah, and I'm very interested in how you link the personal with the historical. So for example, just about everything we wear comes from somewhere else. Everything we eat comes from somewhere else. Well, that actually, that's, yeah, that's true. That's and true. as I pointed out, all our images in our head come from somewhere else as well. Right. So um, we're completely globalized. It's not something external. It's actually completely internal as well now. Yeah, yeah. It's been super fun learning with you. Thank you for taking the time to listen to me. Join me next week as we explore another part of the vast, mysterious lands of South Asia. I'm looking forward to exploring something new that you've never heard about next week. Talk soon.